welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast, where every week we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under, with your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. Hello and welcome to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. I'm your host and licensed funeral director, Victor Rubio. And today we are here to discuss episode nine of season one of Six Feet Under, titled Life's Too Short. I'm here today with the host of the From First to Last podcast, Sean Fallon, where he discusses the pilot and finale episode of a specific TV show. Hello, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Victor. Yourself? Good, good, Sean. You know, I had... It'll come out in the future, if I remember, and I had guessed it on one of your episodes where we did Dexter. Yeah. I had found you, if people are listening to episode five, I had found you through uh, Marcelo Pico, and you know, there's kind of a, a threesome of podcasts going on there. <laughs> I mean, Sean, just how we were talking before, I, I, I love the idea of your podcast because, and I've said it in my intro podcast of this Six Feet Under, that there's such a stark contrast in how a television show evolves over the seasons, you know, and as they get their footing and they find their comfortable space. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I just, I, I love the idea of your podcast of the TV shows I've listened to and whatnot. Yeah, no, I mean, like, like you say, your episode will be out next month. And I think Dexter was a perfect example of a show that has like a phenomenally good pilot and then <laughs> the whole thing for its finale. And right. And I think, yeah, so that that is the premise of the show. Just that's all you bring into the, bring to the table, just the first episode, the last episode. And obviously that's not, that's, just the starting point and then the rest of the show is sort of discussed throughout but um right yeah it's it's been a lot of fun to do and uh, i see marcelo pico came on to do um to do this show to do six feet under yeah i should have led with that that you guys actually did this show six feet under where you discussed the obviously the pilot and the finale and something i discussed with marcelo and i discussed uh recently was just the finale of this show and it's such a it's something I, I bite my tongue with every week because I want to do the finale so bad because that finale is just so amazing. Um, your 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 future thoughts. I know you had done the six feet under a few a few weeks back. Um, now coming into this episode, episode nine of season one, what has been your thoughts so far on six feet under? It's it's been really interesting because I um, when this show first came out, I I used to watch it in England and. Um, it's weird to think that I was watching this show when I was 17 and um, I just didn't know mm-hmm. what I was watching. It, it, <laughs> just like looking at like episodes like from the pilot up until now, like because I think I only watched like the first season and maybe a bit of the second before I stopped because I, right. I, I couldn't talk to people about this show because as, as we see in, in this episode and, and other episodes, like being 17 in high school with the friends I had, the idea of me watching a show with a character who uh, is gay and is kind of like very vis- visibly, yeah, vis- blah, blah, visibly gay, you know, with other men mm-hmm. would have just sort of put a target on my back, you know, which, which is <laughs> right. a horrible thing to think of. But obviously that, I think you've, you've mentioned this yourself in past episodes, like 2001 was a very different time. Wildly now. different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting to think like 17, um, no one in my family had died. Um, but, you know, I've got a very small family, pretty functional. Mm-hmm. You know, a character like David is a complete <laughs> mystery to me. A character like Nate is a mystery to me. 
Um, <laughs> you know, at that point, I think I was going to marry my high school. I probably actually wasn't, actually. I think I just had like a... I think I, I had a quite dysfunctional relationship with my high school girlfriends, and maybe that was what drew me in. Like, right, right. But yeah, no, I think I just... I watched it and I enjoyed it, but I would probably think I understood 10% of it, <laughs> of what was happening. <laughs> A common thread of people who've been on the show so far or just people I talk to about the show is this show is wildly different. And I'm going to just going to I know you said 17, but I'm going to group you into someone who's 20 years old as someone who watches this at 20 years old, at 30 years old and at 40 years old. You just have wildly different views and you interpret it. You digest it wildly different in those three age ranges, because like you said, you know, and I had watched this towards the end of season five and I was 21, 22 I, I yeah like I didn't I, I I saw what I was seeing on the screen and I was taking it in but I wasn't feeling it like I'm feeling especially the episode we're doing today like I didn't feel it I didn't digest it like I did when I was that young you know yeah no that that's it I sort of like and and also the thing I remember like when I watched it at seventeen Nate was my favorite character and now watching it at thirty two <laughs> David's my favorite character and yeah it's sort of like. Yeah. You know with the Beatles, when you're like a little kid, you like Ringo. And then when you were grown up, you like George. And then in the middle, you sort of jump between Paul and John, depending on if you're like a romantic teenager or a bit of a a rebel or whatever. It's like that. Because I was like, oh my God, Nate, how old? And he's he's so free and he's he's this. And like, what a a tool. (laughs) That's a great analogy. That's a great analogy, man. Uh, To go back to your podcast just for one more moment... um, what episode would you tell people to go listen if they wanted to get, get you know uh, listen to your podcast? Because you know the people that are listening to this episode that we're doing are also TV watchers. So I'm assuming that there's a lot of television shows that you've done that people have watched, and you know chances are those those episodes you have done or you will do. And let's exclude Six Feet Under from it because I don't want this to be uh, you know. <laughs> What episode do you suggest? Six Feet Under. Hmm. Uh, what What episode is like a good starting point of that you think, you know, you would want to introduce people to your podcast? I, I would definitely say just instantly um, the Breaking Bad episode. I okay. That's a show that, because there's a lot of shows that we've talked about that have had like fantastic pilots, but terrible finales. So it's sort yeah. of like heart, the first half of the podcast is like, praising the show and then the last half is sort of tearing it down whereas breaking right. bad is like yeah the perfect example of the format the, the first episode is so vastly different to the last episode but also the same if that makes any sense it's the same story no no definitely definitely so that i think that was definitely a good one and it's an excuse to sit down and watch the first and last episodes of breaking bad again so yeah which it is you can never have too many reasons to do that yep. yeah that's it <laughs> um so yeah i think if people are going to dive in and i think as well if you're listening to this at, at the end of january listen to the dexter episode because that episode is hilarious <laughs> i had a lot of fun in it i had a lot of fun in it and and sean if you don't mind telling people where you're from because as me as an american you have an accent but if you just want to tell people where you're from yeah so um i'm from I'm originally from England, um, but I'm now living in Australia. 
and I taught overseas for 10 years and, and so the, I have a weird accent. <laughs> well, the reason, the reason why I wanted to even bring that up, and this is very, this is very inside until you hear the Dexter podcast, is there's a moment where we're talking and you just said something, and I, I swear, man, your voice has been in my head because you just went, the fuck he can't in your accent. And it was just so goddamn funny. <laughs> And, and, you know, may, maybe a few months from now, you, you could place two and two together. But God, that just, yeah, that episode was a lot of fun to do. If you're watching this, I'm assuming you've there's a correlation that someone has to Dexter, Michael C. Yeah, Hall. When that episode comes out, I definitely, it's a must listen just the way. If you're a Dexter fan, you know why we end up ripping it and whatnot. So, yeah, that'll be fun to listen. Again. The first half is all praise, and then the last half is all, <laughs> the, yeah, right. All up, and then it's all down. Uh, Sean, I have to clarify something because someone had emailed in. Um, if you've been watching these first eight episodes, I have been calling this this mousy character that is lonely and bothers Dave. I've been calling her Mitzi, oh, yeah. and someone had actually emailed in and reminded me that. The name Mitzi actually becomes a character uh, later on in this season and becomes a character in season two. So I'm sitting here calling her Mitzi and I guess subconsciously it's sitting in my mind because that person, not the person I've been calling Mitzi, but the name Mitzi becomes a character later on. Uh, the woman I've been referring to as Mitzi is actually Tracy. Oh, and Tracy, yeah, close enough, right? And Mitzi actually becomes someone later on. So if you've been listening to earlier episodes and you mm -hmm. think I don't know anything, and you're probably right, Mitzi becomes someone else. Tracy is the mousy female who bothers David and is rather quite lonely and character is a little sad. So I, that woman's name was Judy who wrote in and emailed that. So I just wanted to say thank you for that and sorry for <laughs> sorry. that mishap <laughs> no that's yeah that's an easy mistake to make because she does seem like a mitzi, mousy mitzi right right and i guess that's where it had come from yeah. uh sean before we get into our episode uh sort of off the cuff here do you know see this is a tough question to ask do you know if you have any different funeral customs in australia compared to here in the usa is there anything you see there in a, a funeral in USA or, you know, that they're showing something on TV that's vastly different from over there, if you have any experience with that? Yeah, well... Not much? Oddly enough, I've been to two or three funerals here, but they've all sort of been, like, church services. Um, okay. The, the concept of the funeral home, like, the funerals I've been to in England and mm -hmm. I've been to one in Thailand. And wow. Yeah, that was, that was, yeah, it was a bit weird. Um, and the the ones I've been to here, like the funeral homes, never really like the the interesting one in England in Liverpool, because all my sort of Liverpool family are quite quite religious. They have the thing where like the front room or the parlor, as it's known, the the body okay. is sort of laid in laid in state. You know what I mean? That it's there, and each person will mm -hmm. sort of go in and you know you have a little chat with with the mm -hmm. you know, with the deceased, and then then you leave, and then the the uh, undertaker arrives and the the coffin is taken out and then everyone convoys to the church where the service is held and then and then you go from there like the funeral home thing right. i'm not sure i don't know if it like, i do know there are funeral homes that i've walked past in the city but it's never been an experience right like all right and well i guess you'll see later on if you know god and i hope you don't have to but maybe you'll you'll see a funeral in the future and maybe it'll be something you know relatable and 
you know, because most people haven't uh, experienced a funeral. You know, some people have, but I, I want to say for the most part, no one's has experienced having been through the process and you kind of learn a lot just going through it. And I'm just always interested being being a funeral director. I'm always interested in hearing what wildly different customs, you know, somewhere else have. And your being on the other side of the world is, hmm. you know, something vastly different, you know. Well, I do. I guess I have one thing. My my sister-in-law's mother is um, she's like a, a humanist. So she does like a, a humanist weddings and humanist funerals and naming ceremonies and stuff like that. And okay. she works with, with the humanist funeral. Um, the uh, the deceased is placed in a in a uh, casket. Or, uh, I, I'm going to say a box, but that gives the wrong image. <laughs> but um, okay. yeah, to like a like a clearing, like in a forest. Everyone gets in a circle. The box is buried in the ground, and the box biodegrades. And everyone, while when the the box is buried, everyone gets in a circle, and each person stands up one at a time and just says one thing about the person, or they read a poem, or they read a quote, or they just say, you know, that they love them or anything like that. And you go all the way around the circle, and then everyone just goes their separate ways, which is something I've never seen before, which is I find which is fascinating. Right, right. And I think it's just a thing of like, yeah, you just go back to back to the world. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And oh god, there's so many spoilers regarding this show that I could discuss with you saying that. Um, yes, that's something we will touch on this show in later seasons, and okay. that's a, that's something that's always interested me doing that. Uh, but I found out, obviously, you know, being a funeral director, that is wildly expensive here uh, in America. Okay. <laughs> it's it's a. That's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, so, Sean, to get into our episode titled Life's Too Short, uh, it aired on July 29, 2001. And, I mean, something just as a preface to sort of start the episode, this episode, I was not expecting um, the emotional wave I got watching it. Uh, there are scenes, and, you know, we'll, we'll get into it, where I laughed and then immediately I got so sad, so quick. Yeah. You know, my, my emotions toward the show were changing as fast as the scenes were. And I feel like, you know, so far this is the most telling description of the series. You know, this is like a nice encapsule of, you know, how does six, uh, how does six feet under make you feel? This was sort of like a, a you know, a title episode for that. Um, you know, in the same episode, we have a child death and an older woman taking ecstasy and somehow you ride that wave you know yeah that was i was amazed how funny this episode was like, <laughs> right right is at some point and then i'd sort of go back through my notes and be like oh yeah that's what happened oh dear oh no <laughs> you know oh this is but i guess that is that is six feet under there are like that sort of tonal shift, but they've just, they've got it. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't feel as though it was disrespectful and I didn't feel like it was no. dramatic. They were just yeah. online the whole time. And, you know, that, that's a great point you, you you bring up that it's not disrespectful because it could very easily be disrespectful, which would lead to uh, bad taste and it kind of loses the show. But like you, like, and like how you said, and I said, I mean, one scene I was really sad and the next scene I'm laughing yeah. and it, they're in no way making fun of each other. It's almost, you know, their own separate worlds when they're doing so. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, I, I just think this is a you know, uh, how, what's the emotion six feet under brings brings to you? I would say so far that this is the episode I I would give to someone just because. I, if my if my emotions were on like a, a, a wave chart, they would have just been up and down between really sad and, and you know, damn, and all of a sudden I'm laughing hysterical and, you know, we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, our death capsule starts out with, we bring an old character back, Gabriel, uh, who was dating Claire in a couple episodes earlier, uh, most notable from the toe-sucking scene. And, you know, what these death capsules have provided us with is that you know, someone will die within the scene. Mm. It's just who will die and how will they die. Yeah. So there's sort of like a guess who vibe with these, you know, opening capsules. So Gabriel invites his friend over to get high and kicks our six-year-old Anthony out of his room to do so. Anthony then goes into what I'm assuming is his mother's room, yeah. let's say. And, you know, like all young children do rummages through his mom's belongings and while Gabriel and his friend are getting high Anthony manages to find a gun and you know when the gunshot goes off knowing what we know it's still a total shock and you know we knew it was coming but I I even knowing what happens I jerked my head back when it happens you know yeah definitely it's amazing how um, how restrained that early scene is as well, because you never see a gun. You just see him unra- start to unwrap a towel, and then it cuts back to the two wasters talking about a party or whatever, and then, like you say, there's just that bang, you know, and then as soon as that bang happens, you're like, oh, I know exactly what the rest of this story is. Yeah, and, right, right. And then you go and you, you see everything from their point of view. You don't see, You don't see the kid or anything like that. I mean, it's... As earlier I said, it never feels disrespectful. It's never gore for gore's sake, and it's never sort of like, look at this thing we've done. It's like, this is a horrible situation, so we're just going to give you broad strokes, but you're never going to see details. Right, right. And that's that's important to not show, because I think there is some, maybe this is something I should have looked at beforehand, but I, 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 I'm I, pretty positive there's some, there, there was some law or rule that you can't show uh, dead children on TV. I know I know there are exceptions to that, but if you notice, you never really see a dead child on TV. It's almost more powerful here that you don't we don't see him. Because if you notice too, as the episode goes on, we don't see him in the casket. We see we'll see a a, a shoe and you know, we'll see clothes, but we don't see him in the casket. And kind of like that horror movie vibe is it's almost worse not seeing the child because it's in our head. It's God. I mean, yeah. you know, for Christ's sake, we're talking about a six-year-old who died. How you know, it's sad in of itself. Yeah, it, they do such a good good job of towing that line of uh, God. How is this even coming out of my mouth? But it's tasteful. It's yeah. it's it's respectful, if that it, makes sense. It's not exploitative. It's not like uh huh uh huh. You know, they run around the corner and you see it all. You know, or like you say, you don't. Mm-hmm, see, mm-hmm. Like later on, like you only. You see David working, but you never see what he's working on. And that's important. That's important to do that in this episode where, it, you know, prior when he was working on a porn star or a guy who got mangled, they show that for gore, not gore's sake, story's sake, but here they're not showing that. And yeah, that, that's a great point you bring up because that's, yeah, that could be really sad or, you know, distasteful, whatever. 
our episode rolls out with the Fisher brothers struggling to handle the workload that Rico left behind. Mm -hmm. And as we know, Rico's left to work at Kroner. When Nate and David have their little spat about Nate failing his licensing test, you know, Nate hits David with the misery loves company line. And it's funny how when he says it, you know, he completely disarms David of any comeback. You know, he's kind of cut him off at the tongue and, you know, it's a strong line and it it sort of hits David and I, I, I guess it's sort of true, right? Like in this instance? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, like I, David is just like, I think in my note, I put in my notes that David is like, he's so distant. It's like he's talking to Nate from another room. Like he's, he's <laughs> talking to each other face to face, but he's so, I mean, Michael C. Hall just does that so well, where even like down to his voice, it's just, he's, the, you know, he's not, he's not complete. He's not there yet. He's like not fully downloaded, you know, he's just sort of sat there. And he's he not knows, in the moment, right? Yeah, that's it. He's completely somewhere else. He's just, he's not, him, he hasn't found, he hasn't become himself yet. And mm-hmm. I know you say yeah, that whole thing of Misery, does, uh, misery Loves Company is, is, is completely spot on to the point where it just shuts David down instantly. Like To respond to it, you know, Nate being Nate and, you know, he also knows David best out of anyone as we've seen so far. And, you know, he sort of comments on how he should sleep with Kurt, the uh, square dancing leader, from the guys who's renting out the chapel. Uh, so it's just kind of funny how he hits him with the misery loves company. Mm. But he's also, as someone who's the only person, well, one of the few people who knows about David's homosexuality, um, you know, also offers up a, why don't you also go out and enjoy your life a little bit yeah. if you're going to be that miserable, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, it, and I think it's good as well to have that level of support as well. Like Nate, Nate knows that David's gay, but also is happy to talk to him and like almost like have a bit of a, a bit of like banter, like brotherly banter of like, yeah, right, right. My guy's right there. He's cute. Go and you know live your life. And because it it it's the same conversation if it had been a, a woman teaching the the dancing and David had been straight. You know, what I mean, there's no sort of sense of it being like he's not mocking him and he's not faking it. It's like no. He knows now that David's gay and he's comfortable with it and he's comfortable enough to sort of talk, even if David probably isn't comfortable enough to hear it, Nate's comfortable enough right. to talk about it, which I think is yeah. is good. It, it's it's warming as a viewer to see that, you know, if, if David's going to be going through this struggle and Nate has his own things, I just, I just like when Nate gets to tease David about it or not tease or whatever you want to say, but it's, it's, it's brotherly love and... Yeah. You know, just like you're saying, it's there's that that sort of banter is important in that sort of relationship. Yeah, very much so. Like, um, uh, yeah, banter, brotherly love, teasing, but good, good natured teasing, which is right. what David <laughs> needs to bring him out of his shell. Yeah, uh, Gabriel and his mother are in to make arrangements on Anthony, and his mother is obviously, you know, shaken up. Mm. Uh, what's interesting here, and you know, we spoke about this in episode seven, is how important us as funeral directors uh, lay value on seeing your loved one before you bury or cremate. Uh, there's something to be said of closure. And, you know, that's sort of the tactic that Nate is taking here. Uh, like I said in episode seven, you know, my, my, my co-host on that episode was Natalie. And, you know, for this instance, many, many families I have worked with had always said after the fact, 
that seeing them one last time or even, you know, memorializing their loved one had helped with the process as opposed to not seeing them. And what's interesting here is I wonder if the dynamics of that change with someone as young as Anthony being six years old. I don't know, you know, I know you had mentioned your experience with funerals. Um, Like, again, like I'm just saying, I know the value of seeing the loved one, but I feel like that all changes with a six-year-old. That's such a sad, sad thing to see, you know? Yeah, I mean, and the mother says it, doesn't she? I think she says a line of like, I can't, is it, I can't see him in a box or something like that. Like that's, she says some yeah. sort of line like that. And you're like, yeah, because that it's obviously it's, it's real. It's too real. But then to see him there is, yeah, it's, it's, I, I mean, I, 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 the words I keep having in my notes that are sort of like, this is unfathomable. Like I couldn't mm-hmm, imagine, mm-hmm. even if I'd gone through this, I still couldn't imagine it. You know, it's, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I don't have kids or anything, but I'm very, very close with my, with my nieces and my nephews and all that. And I used to, I, I used to be a, a primary school teacher. I used to teach six-year-olds and stuff like that. And then you uh-huh. look at these people like, nah, you're going to live forever. Don't worry about <laughs> it. You know, this is the idea of one of them. The, the idea of that situation of it, of the kid being in a box is like, I know it's too horrific to even it's think insane. about. As someone who deals with, uh, I'm gonna. It, it, when I say this, it makes it sound my job so much more darker than it is. As someone who deals with death daily, yeah. and you know that's my job when I go to work and whatnot, and just funeral directors have been around, funeral directors who have been doing this a lot longer than me, uh, it there's a different dynamic when it is a child. Uh, you know, we we are. I don't want to say the word numb, but we've become used to our everyday ebb and flow of what we're doing. And while it is sad, we treat them with respect and all that. There's no matter what, there's a different, uh, there's a different vibe, a different aura with something like this. Um, And it's just something you never see because it's, yeah, like, you know, you put the perfect, it's unfathomable. It's, it's, (laughs) it's a world of, you know, something I wouldn't, you know, wish upon anyone, anything. Yeah. whatnot. Yeah, no, it's, um, th- there's, I don't know what, I can't remember what this line is now, but I had a thing where it says, I've got a quote that says, is, th- is three days enough time? What I think he's referring to is, let's say they were discussing that on a Friday, would Monday or Tuesday as a visitation be acceptable? I don't know what exactly he's going for there, but that's what I know he was re- referencing or, you know, asking why, why he's asking that. I'm not sure, but yeah, that's you know whatever that for the point that was in the episode. Um, if if I was to to expound on that, something like that, you would kind of give the family their time. You know, you would you know is three days enough for you? Do you want to do this Monday or Tuesday? If if yeah. if you want to try to lend a helping hand and try to guide them, yeah, you would say, do you want to do this Tuesday, Wednesday, or whatever. Um, that that line sort of I don't know it, I I didn't register with me that well just because I didn't understand what he was doing as a funeral director but I guess it's maybe something just for the show's sake to show how heartbroken she is you know yeah because I was sort of like yeah is like is three days enough time for her to get to he- get her head together 
Probably not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is is thirty years enough to get yeah. your head together? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Like yeah. So, but yeah, I mean that makes perfect sense of just sort of like yeah, it's three days enough time for turnaround. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Ruth with one of her better episode plots. Um, if if I remember correctly, and I like doing this to people because it, it's funny how what they reference as the episode. When I had asked you what episode you want to do, you said, you know, episode nine. And you were just like, the one where Ruth takes drugs. Ruth in her storyline, she's getting ready and she has her own vision of Nathaniel in the mirror. And, you know, we quickly see as what she's talking to him, it becomes Hiram. And they're trying to plan a trip for camping. Yeah. Ruth heads off to work and is helping this man. And here, yeah, exactly. Here is where, you know, we, again, I mean, listen, listen, we're doing the episode right now as we speak and we're going from a child death to Ruth helping the flowers. Um, If I could set the scene up, there's a guy there who seems to be flying, buying flowers for his fiance, his wife to be. And, you know, he asks Ruth, what color should he get flowers for his fiance? And, you know, I think Ruth says yellow. And then this guy completely flips the script and is, you know, well, what color would you get a coward of? I, I think something like a, a woman who's been effing everyone or something like that. Right. And then when he <laughs> and Ruth is just such a sweet soul yeah. when, you know, she, Ruth asks her, well, what would you want on the card? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the guy just barks at her. Well, what do you want on the card? Fuck you, cunt. Yeah. That's what. What's funny is her response, uh, how she takes it in. But what's even funnier is, you know, she tells him, "I think it would mean it." I, I, I man, I'm gonna mess it up here. I think it will be a lot more personable if you write it. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know how this translates over the audio if you haven't seen the scene, but it's a laugh out loud, great character developing moment all around. Yeah, it's 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 like a four level joke because it like. When he says, oh, you know, he's all full of joy and she's all smiley and it's like, oh, what, you know, what's a good, what color, what's a good color for roses? Oh, red. What about for a coward? And instantly she goes, yellow? (laughs) You know, just straight into it. (laughs) And it just, it just keeps piling on and piling on, like you say, and then just the punchline of her, just like you say, just like offering him the pen and saying, it might, it might be better if you wrote it. (laughs) Oh my God, that is such, and that is on the heels of. Exactly. Three days enough yep. time. Boom. You know, uh-huh. straight into that, and that was hilarious. Like all the Ruth's yeah. stuff. Like because Ruth's character is usually a bit of a downer, but this episode, everything that she was involved in was hilarious. Like she was. A- we we are riding the wave where we we just yeah. talked about the 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 you know the death of a six year old. Now we're just laughing about this you know this this <laughs> roses scene. It's like yeah, just what what an up and down. You know emotions all over the place um after this nate shows up to brenda's and he's sort of unloading his day on her while brenda's in the other room getting ready and whatnot and billy you know just kind of creeps up behind nate and starts massaging him this billy is just absolutely crazy he is yeah i mean a crazy character to be in this show you know yeah he's he's i remember like the first time i watched it when i watched as a teenager i just hated that character i just found him infuriating <laughs> and then mm-hmm. i saw it thought to myself well maybe if i watch it as a grown-up i'll i'll find more sympathy with him and i just didn't 
again, I was just sort of like, oh, God, you are just infuriating. Like, I know in the future <laughs> things happen with that character, like, but in this scene where he's just like, just little bites of uh, of Nate just chewing away at him. And you're just like, mm-hmm. Nate, just, just get up and batter him, mate. Just get <laughs> <laughs> into this. And, and, yeah, you just feel like if you were Nate, like, oh, this is so... Just that whole, like, Brenda's whole thing, her whole family is just, like, <laughs> you kind of think, is it worth it? I, I, I've been saying... <laughs> I've been saying that in regards to where this whole uh, Brenda's background and then when you add Billy, I don't know if it's me intelligence-wise or... I can't because I know what the future holds. I can't. I, I don't know how to discuss. You know, we could sit here and I could break down. I could talk about David because I understand him. Mm. I don't fully understand. Like I don't have a good grasp on this yet. Um, you know, Billy is so complex, and yeah, he's a infuriating, infuriating character. I just don't know how to kind of you know talk about it because i mean he's all over the place yeah that's it he's you know he's you know he's the guy who watches his sister have sex and and passive aggressively cancels a trip on them and you know he's sitting here massaging his sister's boyfriend it's he's an all over the place character you know um you know in a scene in a little bit he you know they're having dinner and there's this sort of weird tribal music going on it's kind of out of the norm for six feet under but you know, uh, I guess the tribal music is playing to Billy's hand as he's sort of discussing, you know, funeral customs of other groups of the world. Yeah. Um, you know, he challenges Nate. How could you not know about the history of your profession? And, you know, and Nate says it himself is, you know, I could know any and everything about the Egyptians and, and whatnot, but it, it would not help me in any way deal with yeah. this death of a six-year-old. And and he's right, you know. You can know everything about your history, and I, uh, I guess I guess we could have a whole another topic or argue, uh, debate about whether you should. How much better does it make you in your profession if you know the history? But in this instance, like what we're talking about, it doesn't help David in the slightest at all. Uh, Nate, I'm sorry, it doesn't help Nate in the slightest at all. Knowing all of this, you know. Yeah, that that's it. That's it entirely. Like this idea that, um, or if he knows the, you know, Papua New Guinea and customs that's somehow going to make it make it better that he got himself you know he's like no, that's that's not it at all this is this is just billy just dick waving waving for no reason just to get a rise out of nate and it's infuriating yeah i mean it's, you know it's a good uh-huh. thing as well because like nate is i guess nate is sort of us isn't he like he's he is the sort of audience surrogate with the idea of like he is very emotional around pretty much every death at this point of the show whereas david is very much right business and like he's been doing it for x amount of years or whatever whereas nate's just sort of fallen into it and he's trying to be because he's trying to be the good guy but at the same time like everything is really affecting him which i guess he's the surrogate for us in the sense of you think like well yeah if i was in that situation i probably you know Anthony being brought in would ruin my day, you know, and wouldn't be able to get over it. Yeah. David's just sort of like, well, we've got to do this, and I'm snowed under, and it's just got to get done, you know. Yeah, and that's a good point of as to why why it's a great show is uh, you sometimes most of the time Nate is our our window, and that's mm-hmm. who we identify with. But there's also other times 
that shifts to other characters. That's a great point you brought up. Uh, I wanted to expound a little bit about, you know, because Nate starts talking about his schooling for a little bit and how, you know, if when you go to school to become a funeral director, you, you know, you're taking all the wildest classes to, you know, become licensed. Um, I And this is, it's almost redundant what I'm saying, because if you're a profession, if, if you're a professional in any field that you had to go to school for or whatnot, um, you learn a lot of stuff in school. Mm-hmm. And none of that pertains to your line of work once you're in it. Yeah. Um, that's I'm assuming that's a popular idea or thought, of course, any industry. But I just remember when I was in schooling, I had to learn all these funeral customs. And, you know, my first day of work, it was, you know, do you know how to cut the hedges? You know, the, the grass cutter needs more gas, you know, and it's just like, yeah, they didn't teach me this in school. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's the saying, right? They didn't teach me this in school. Yeah, you know? that's, that's it. Yeah. And, and that is the same. I was briefly a, um, a travel agent uh, for like nine months and had okay. like three weeks of like intense training, did really well, aced all my classes or whatever, got to the job and knew nothing. You know, just the actual job <laughs> is hugely different. And after nine months, uh-huh. like, I've got it. Well, actually, I say I worked there for nine months. I would probably say after four months, I was like, I've got to get out of this job. This is a this is a <laughs> and then eventually got right. out. But very much that thing of like this intense training, and we had all these manuals and all that, but none of it meant anything. You know, the, right? Yeah, the, the company had a huge dropout rate because like people would have those three weeks of training and come out and be like, "I'm ready to take on the world." And then a week in a shop, they were like, "Oh no, this is, all, <laughs> this is I, I know nothing about nothing," and that would be the end of it. Right? So I think right, it's universal. Yeah. yeah, it translates to everything. Yeah. Uh, to move on to David, he's out with Kurt at the club, and you know this is something just have watching i've watched so much tv so much movie so much media i want to see if you agree with me here and it's just it's it, i don't know why it took so long for something like this to to occur to me uh and again uh we are in 2001 yeah it, it takes a little while before the big shift comes regarding uh gay people in media but you know, every gay club they portray, it's this dance music where everyone is dancing their ass off. Mm-hmm. And to me, at 30 years old, it just seems exhausting to be a gay, <laughs> to go out to a gay club. Because, I mean, they are dancing their ass off. Yeah. You know, it, I, you know, I, like I said, I got exhausted watching it. I don't know. And again, maybe it's more prevalent today where why isn't it portrayed as you know, a bunch of guys or girls hanging in a backyard, you know, talking shit and get it drunk. Is it always, is it, is when a gay person goes out, is it always this hardcore partying? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think it is that interesting thing because obviously, um, what was his name? Alan Ball? Alan Ball's gay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like, Alan Ball's gay and all that, but this particular episode, the depiction of... Um, like gay men in LA, like you say, that crazy sort of like cliched club thing. Uh, everyone's taking ecstasy, and there was that sort of sense of um, like a sort of anti-monogamy thing. You know, they were all just sort of like everyone was swapping partners and all that. And, like, right, that's right. An interesting thing because that's what like I feel like that's the stereotypical view. That's the sort of thing of like, oh, you want to be careful. Gay men are going to go out and they just don't know. They don't care who they're sleeping <laughs> with. And all this. 
know right right been the experience like gay people i know like um like one of my uh friends who's gay hates clubbing big big fan of drugs <laughs> yeah. hates clubbing <laughs> I think that's incidental um yeah, like right. perfect night out is you know like you say just hanging out with mates and smoking weed and watching movies and all that and the idea of going to a club and dancing just completely turns his stomach but this the idea seems to be like oh if you're gay you go to these crazy clubs take x and um just do what you want and it seems like such a weird maybe it, like you say maybe it's a 2001 thing I think this is victim of the 2001 and the, the gay the gay culture was not as popular in the media. And uh, uh, something to add to my point, and we'll touch on it later in David's storyline. On top of it, lo- it looks so exhausting to be gay and go out to a party. It also seems intimidating because, I mean, the size of Keith that we see later on and his partner, yeah. I could work out for the rest of my life. I'll never work, look like that. No. You know, you go around the club and it's these extremely in shape, fit people. Hmm. How they put, you know, how they portray the gay, you know, the gay club, the gay culture. It, it just, I don't know. I don't know why it took this particular time for me to notice, yeah. you know, what just, what the stereotypical typical is and whatnot. But to me, I was just like, wow, that looks exhausting and intimidating. <laughs> intimidating in the way that every single gay man needs to be buff in this world you know their muscles popping out you know yeah that's everyone was everyone was beautiful and um and also it seems to be like it's every night as well because i think this episode only takes place, <laughs> obviously it takes place over three days because it starts right over, right yeah and it, it does seem to be that david's out clubbing well if he goes up twice that's i guess it could be friday and saturday if he's really burning the candle at both ends but like <laughs> it seems to be quite well it's it's interesting as well because but like like i say those sort of club scenes and all that all the other times it depicts um gay people they're not stereotypical like david isn't a stereotypical gay man and neither is keith no you know no. there's no sort right, of right like, right right yeah, with their relationship, it's not like, oh, one of them's the, the feminine one and one of them's, you know, they're both, like, masculine dudes, and it is the way the yeah. world actually is. Um, but yeah, right, just, right. That, yeah. it just seems weird, like, that whole clubbing thing felt like someone who had never met a gay person before just describing <laughs> what, you know, gay lifestyle was, which was weird. Uh, I was just going to say... Um... And to, you know, to add back to the humor, when David takes... Uh, we're assuming this is ecstasy, right? I'm not big into drugs, but uh, 2001. Uh, when David takes ecstasy, him dancing in the club is just... I was laughing out loud watching that man go yep. ch- chugging water because he just can't handle it. Um, I it, For me, it was a laugh out loud scene. I don't know about you. Uh, I just I'm loved... Definitely him him being high on ecstasy just <laughs> freaking out in a good way you know i sort of said i written um david is um like psa high like he's he's like <laughs> a warning video like yeah ecstasy will lead to some good times but then it'll be like the next scene of be him dead i guess but like he was just right. it was so yeah it's it's so weird 2001 is only what 15 16 years ago and it does seem like uh-huh such a vastly different world maybe the internet just wasn't as prevalent and we just didn't know things as much as we know them now because like yeah it just felt that whole thing like very very funny but it was very much like again someone who had never taken ecstasy sort of going like what's ecstasy like 
oh, you, you, you dance loads. Oh, I'll write that in the script. <laughs> and you're dead happy. You know, uh-huh, uh-huh. it was good. It worked very well. I thought that was hilarious, and especially with David. You know, right, right. They, that that works. That doesn't work as well with Nate or someone else, but with uh, David, it works. Great. It's just a contrast. The next day, when he's you know he's putting the pieces back together of his night, and you know the simple word white, yeah, triggers everything back in his head, and you know it triggers everything he had done. And as really quick as the scene ends, and you know, I'm placing this seed for later. David places the two pills Kurt gave him into yep. the aspirin bottle, and he places that back into the cabinet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we move on to Brenda and Nate, or rather, you know, Brenda thinks it's a good idea yep. uh, to go to our funeral homes to see how other funeral directors handle an intake or, you know, a family showing up to their business. As someone who's an outsider, what do you think of Brenda's tactic to improve Nate being a funeral director? Like knowing what you know about the show, about your own personal life, yeah. what, how, do you, how do you interpret this as her trying to better him as a funeral director? It's, it's an interesting one because I have had experience with this as like um, working in sales jobs. And one of the training things is they do send you out to like, uh, well, actually with travel agents. They sent us out to another travel agent and you have to like pretend you want a holiday and then just sort of like come back and say, this is something they did well. This is something they did poorly. But right. there's a very big difference between travel agent and funeral director. You know, <laughs> there's a, there's right. a vast world of difference. And I was actually going to ask you this. Has this ever happened? Have you ever had like tourists come in and like fake it, you know, uh, or anything mm- close to this? You know, it's funny. No, but when this episode ended, I I was like, I think I'm going to do this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing. Uh, Generally speaking, the area you're in, all the funeral directors sort of know each other. So you'd have to go kind of far to do this. That being said... In in, in, in in what this episode, chances are they would know who Nate Fisher is. That's a family-owned funeral home. You, you know, you sort of know all your local whatnot. Um, it's, I say it would be a good idea, mm. but I don't, I feel like you would be too nitpicking as someone who's in, the, like, you know, I watch this episode and I'm looking at, you know, the embalming in the background or what he's doing, whatever. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think you would be ooh, that's something good, he said, let me take that away. And not to mention, too, it's a wild waste of someone else's time doing that, you know? And a sort of, like, respect to the business, you know, you're, I mean, unless you're desperate to just become the best funeral director ever possible, you're sort of wasting someone's time, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's it, exactly, like, because it's not... You know, this isn't a revolving door thing. I imagine when someone sits down in front of you, you put aside a massive chunk of time and work in order to talk to them. You can't be like when they sit down, be like, right, you've got five minutes and then you got to, you know, you got to hoof it. Like this is <laughs> like the, the setting as well. Like they are in that vast office and the, the person's meeting them and all that. And yeah, no, it's it does seem like a huge time waster and a bit and obviously incredibly morbid like <laughs> yes incredibly morbid and, and and we'll get to obviously the most morbid one of these uh with with these three visits mm-hmm. uh i wanted you know where brenda's sort of doing improv at each one yeah 
and to see how the funeral home will handle it. Uh, what I wanted to do here was kind of break down each scenario and kind of give you may, not not that I am a uh, a great funeral director, but just kind of how I'm assuming most people like me would have handled it. Yeah. The first funeral home, if you remember, the funeral home is it's a bit old. The funeral director is a bit older. It's a little stuffy, and Brenda, if you remember, is just laying on the theatrics hard. Yeah. Her parents died in a helicopter accident, and uh, acting-wise, she's giving an amazing performance. Yeah. You know, and what's funny, again, we're right back to the humor because you know the funeral director, having no idea what to do, just says. Well, what about matching caskets? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, what he's actually offering isn't a bad idea, but the timing of it is horrific. <laughs> you know, uh, that can't be your response to someone who's putting on the theatrics like Brenda is. Um, I think, and, you know, you could kind of chime in here yourself, Sean. I, you know, not even being a field director, but. Uh, a rather moral decent person you know kind of would have just handed them tissues asked them if they could get a drink and kind of just either hear them out or let them be right uh i mean that's it like um there there is yeah i i I, my um sorry quite a little bit of a tangent but i'll come back quick uh my uh, uh one of my baby nieces got quite um ill a couple of years ago and she was in hospital for ages. And um, mm-hmm. when it was sort of announced how ill she was, it was fascinating to see how different people reacted. And some people just shut up and vanished and so on. And some people were really helpful and all that. And my wife became, like she was, she was reading up on it to see exactly what the sort of right response was. And the interesting thing was, it's like people offer too much and they say the wrong thing. But all you need to do is just remind people that you're there for them. And that's enough. Right, right, right. And like right. you say, this guy, rather than just like, yeah. the tissues, the drink, that would be enough just to start. They, no, there's nothing you could say in that scenario. I mean, what what words are there in the world to, let's, let's you know, let's assume what Brenda's saying is real, yeah. as the funeral director is supposed to think. What the hell are you going to say to someone who just lost both their parents in a helicopter accident? <laughs> you know, um, you yeah, like you said, you just kind of glass of water and tissues and hear them out or just let them be, you know? That's, yeah, that's it. You just got to show you that. <laughs> offering them something, <laughs> money, or offering a right, right. business transaction is no good. To our next funeral home, uh, <laughs> which is basically the worst embodiment of our industry, yeah. um, uh, you know, about how we try to swindle people, whatnot. Nate keeps asking about the total cost while the guy is just giving his rundown and you know the funeral director instead of responding with how much it'll cost you know it's just how he'll take care of everything and you know to me he was just giving this awful smug car salesman sort of vibe and he's not connecting with nate um you know here's the thing this funeral home as we see here, it's it's wildly expensive even today in 2016. Yeah. Um, if I could get in a little deep into the business here, uh, the funeral home was made to serve the upper class. And right. what I mean by that is funeral homes are in every city, every state. Let's just, for the purpose of this discussion, every country, right? Yeah. And, you know, just how you can buy a Kia or 
whatever low whatever the lowest model of cars there is out there right uh you can also buy a rolls royce Hmm. um you know you're still buying a you know a vehicle with four wheels that's going to get you from point a to point b to relate to our conversation you know there are funeral homes or and i hate saying this word but they exist cremation shops that will uh yeah it varies different where you are in the world where you are in america but let's just say for the purpose of this discussion there's there's these places that will cremate your loved one for five hundred dollars right and you know they're just uh, a bare bones operations you could have your cremation at a different funeral home you know with the service and funeral for five thousand i don't name names here but being that there's places that do it for 500 like i said and I know of some high-end funeral homes that, you know, they charge as much as 11000 for the same service. My point here is, you know, the area and the market and your your audience, your your clients, you know, they predict the prices. Um, Here's the thing. The funeral home charging 11000 for that basic cremation, and here they're charging Nate for, you know, 20000 for this funeral. Um they're not forcing Nate to pay that. Yeah. Nate is coming to them. Um, you know, that that this funeral home that Nate's at, that's available to I don't want to say upscale families, because then that means if you don't go there, you're not an upscale, but you know, families who decide to use them is the same way a person decides to buy a Rolls Royce or wants to just buy, I don't know, a Nissan Altima, you know? Yeah. Obviously, this guy could have been a hell of a lot more passionate, and maybe I just ranted a little bit. But this guy, this 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 embodiment, where we're at in the episode, is he's supposed to be money only. Yeah. Um, what did you? How did you receive it when he? You know, he just says, you know, just that smug. You know, we'll take care of everything. Don't worry. And he's just kind of sidestepping the price. Oh, he's great. I mean, I think that that actor, like, they've cast him perfectly because he's just, oh, <laughs> you know, he's just so, he's just dripping with slime. He's just, <laughs> and just that whole thing where it's like, even when he's saying it's going to cost $20,000, just a big smile on his face. Just no, like, just, just as if it's like, yeah, it's only $20,000. What's the deal? You know, just, <laughs> and I think, and, and when Nate's like, because Nate's got the inside track and he's like, yeah, but this place, this, this, um, cemetery or whatever is like two seconds away from the highway and the guy's mask doesn't slip at all like he is he's prepared. <laughs> and I, I think it was interesting like you say with like that first funeral parlor nate's totally not into it but the second one you see he's starting to get into the game and he wants to him and brenda seem to be on a sort of even thing until the right right <laughs> Uh, we're we're going to get to the third one in a bit. I wanted to to get to, you know, fill out the rest of the episode and we'll get back to that third one cuz yeah. there's a lot going on in that third that third funeral home they visit. If we could get to Ruth camping, she's out with Hiram and you know, just being the gentle soul that Ruth is, she's <laughs> you know, overly prepared and just completely neurotic about being outdoors. Uh, what I kind of found funny there is that's kind of the opposite of what camping is. Yeah. To just be that, nah, maybe that's the wrong word, opposite, but just to be that neurotic about every little detail um, about camping. camping. It's supposed to be like relaxing and just Uh and all that, roughing it, I guess. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Everything will be mapped out, planned, (laughs) itemized, checked out. 
when when they're sitting by the fireside, Ruth claims, <laughs> and it's funny because it's such a quick line, and it, it it's not you know there's not like a a, a drum roll after she says it, uh, but you know she they're sitting by the fireside and. You know, she, Ruth is like, it's dangerous to be camping while it's menstruating. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and what's funny is, she, you know, she spills this all these details on a funeral they had served where, uh, if my memory serves, a, a, a woman got killed while camping and she goes on and on. Yeah. She doesn't even hes- hesitate to, to give the story to Hiram. And, you know, Hiram, having no idea how to react, taking this all in, just... Yeah, you know what are you gonna do, and just you know, yeah. just receives it. You know, me as a as a thirty year old funeral director, just being ten years into it, uh, I have a filter, <laughs> so I know I know when to not say something or you know how to chime in if it relates to something important. Uh, but if I was Ruth's age, I imagine my filter was gone a long time ago, and stuff like that would probably be flying out of my mouth. You know, that'll that'll, that'll be how you are in I don't know fifty years. 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> to get to claire's storyline and she is obviously the the, the girl for well, whatever she was a companion of gabriel in our early part of the season when she first sees gabriel she doesn't know what to say you know regardless of all the stuff they went through between them she's still human and yeah. this happening is a traumatic event you know claire claire is a good and moral decent person um She's kind of painted as a wild teenager to start off the series, but you could see the good in Claire. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and she's, she, you know, she just wants to know how Gabe's doing. And, you know, her friend Parker, who we saw last week's episode, advises her to back off because he's so vulnerable at this time. You know, and how she'll take Claire's kindness, you know, for deeper feelings. Uh, Sean, I don't know how you felt, but I was sitting there like, F that, you know, this person is grieving and I'm there to be your friend. Yeah. You know, we can deal with whatever later, but you need a friend right now, right? I mean, I, I remember, um, in, like, I remember being in high school and if something like this had happened, if like one of my friends, like their little brother had died, I wouldn't have known what to do. And I probably would have just ran to the hills. And it does <laughs> seem to be that that is the thing. Like everyone just sort of like, just gets as far away from Gabriel as possible. But Claire, I guess, being, I say, just a decent human being and possibly being a little bit more aware of death, I guess. Is That's quite, true. You know, is what it's what, no, understands the, the thing I said before, like that Gabriel just needs someone there, just needs to know that there's someone there she can talk, you can talk to. Because obviously his mother's completely catatonic. The dad's <laughs> nowhere to be seen. Obviously the brother's dead. So... Yeah, I mean, I think it is, again, that thing. You can imagine teenagers warning her off because they're like, well, we don't understand death because we're teenagers and we're going to live forever. So all they can understand is still, like, relationship drama. So it's still teenage sort of stories, whereas Claire's a little bit above that and away from that. And she's like, no, this has got nothing to do with us dating. He's grieving and I want to help. Right. Right, and I think that's very, I think that's very close. I think that is what you would see in the real world. Like people, like people running the opposite way from grief will fall back on on the narratives they understand. You know, I mean, they'll go back to, in the case of a teenager, they'll go back to like, oh, but who's dating who and so forth. When that just <laughs> does not matter at all. 
Right, right. Link's good. Another yeah. Good yeah, that's 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 a good point. I even I kind of didn't pick up on just because I guess me myself I was so into the episode and just trying to you know uh, come away with some stuff. But yeah, it's high school drama and Claire. Yeah, like you said it best. Claire's the only one who's like, you know, f you know, fuck all that. This kid's kid's just you know lost his brother. Uh, yeah. And, and to that point, um, you know, later on. Gabe is just lost and he's sort of out in space when he's in front of the funeral Fisher home to drop off clothes. And, you know, we start to see the regret, you know, building up in Gabe. And, you know, we talk, he talks about his father for a little bit and he shows up later on. Mm-hmm. And it got me to thinking, and we don't have to go too far into this. And maybe the laws are different over there by you in Australia. But wouldn't someone have been arrested for this? I mean, I know the kid did it himself. I don't know. I don't know if there's something, and I, I know if, if, you, if you're any somewhat knowledgeable on guns, you know, you're probably banging your head against the wall right now. I'm not knowledgeable at all in guns and permits and whatnot, but I, I don't know. There's something that felt criminally wrong with just having a gun in the same house as a six-year-old. You know what I mean? You'd assume that there'd be, it'd be child endangerment because of... Because later on to jump a little bit within this episode, like the father says it's yeah. his gun. Now he's not around and the father seems like a deadbeat. So chances are there's no permit and the gun's just left under the bed wrapped in a towel. So yeah, someone is getting punished for this one way or another. For just yeah, in a dangerous, I can't think of the word, dangerous environment. Right. And you know, it kind of slipped my mind until the end when he said that was his gun. Mm. Um, it's just crazy how, I don't know, it sort of slipped me the entire episode where everyone's just at the funeral just kind of grieving and no one's arrested. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I maybe I don't know if there's a law. If you have a permit, it has to be concealed. I don't know. I'm not, I'm really not knowledgeable in that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I can't see uh, a scenario where it's okay to have a gun under your bed wrapped in a towel and a six-year-old yeah. can access it. That's crazy to me. But I guess, you know. I guess someone's far more worse than someone's death. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a court date pending. I can only assume. Right. I think I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah. No, I I hope someone I hope someone is knowledge I hope someone's yeah. knowledgeable enough uh, to inform me why or how not. This show is not like The Wire, where you know everything is so by the book that something yeah. here would have you know. Uh, but yeah, if you have if you have a better idea, and I, maybe it's just as simple as. Uh, if you have a permit, you're you know you're good. But I don't know if someone knows better. Yeah. Definitely write me in. We go to David seeing Keith at the club. Um, you know, before this, what prompts him to get to the club? David is getting Anthony ready for viewing, and something I don't want to bring the podcast too down, but you know, it's an awful task having to embalm and get a six-year-old ready for viewing. Mm. And what hits home to me. Uh, and you know maybe other funeral directors it's different something like when we see David he ties the shoes of Anthony and you know the clothes the items that are his Anthony's you know his possessions that are most part you know completely inanimate that stuff takes a life of its own yeah. whereas seeing just you know doing I, I don't I don't want to get too gruesome I don't know it's funny you know it's funny as I'm talking about it the dynamics of the words I say change when it goes to a kid uh, the, the embalming of a the embalming of a child a dead body 
a dead child isn't as mind taxing to me isn't as mind taxing as something like that shot which is you see it really quick where david's just tying you know this goddamn six-year-old's shoes and you know the shoes are so tiny and his clothes are so little um that stuff to me is so much more has an effect on you yeah than yeah. the the technical part of you know embalming the the six-year-old and whatnot you know yeah i mean i think that's that's again very good writing on the show's part like Nate instantly feels it from the moment they know that this kid's coming in. Nate's broke. Yeah. Whereas David yeah. has to go through the process, and it is like you say, it is that moment where he's tying the shoelaces, and that's and that's that's what does him. It, well, because you see him and he's like cleaning the fingers, isn't he, with the little brush? Right, 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 right. Which is which is definitely more of a technical thing, but at the same time, there's something quite. Um, almost it's 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 like a fatherly motion like you know cleaning the kids fingers and then tying the kids laces yeah. for him and you're like and again like you just think to yourself i've done that a million times for like you know nieces and nephews <laughs> and like i say when i was right, a teacher right. it was constantly like oh mr sean can you tie my laces and stuff like that and it's <laughs> it's it's such a it's a thing that you do sort of out of affection for someone like you, you kind of go yeah of course come in you tie the laces and it's like a sweet motion you say okay go on go play now uh, but this is totally yeah. he's tying the laces especially on like a sports uniform and it's such a, a simple mm-hmm, emotion mm-hmm. and you know happiness for this kid and movement and like being out in the sunshine but the kid's dead yeah and it's like and and that that is such a stark image like oh god that that gets you right there <laughs> yes and and it, it's like, and I, just to kind of bring it back to what we were saying earlier, uh, how the show, they don't show you the gruesomeness of him shooting himself. This image, you know, and, and it, it made me want to talk about it is the image of tying the shoes. And, you know, you're, you're taking it to a place that I, that kind of maybe just it occurred to me, but I've never really brought it to surface is, yeah, like you've done that. You've tied the shoes a bunch of times and then you send the kid out to go play. Um, I, the, the the act of that that's that's so much more mm. to me as a viewer and as a funeral director and as someone with emotion it's so much more powerful than if i had seen him with the gun yeah accidentally shot himself those shoes they're so you know you never expect it like you said earlier you're gonna live forever um yeah it's just it's such a powerful shot and god it's so subtle you know it, well, that's subtle it's just there's not much to it. There's no flash. There's no pizzazz. It's I, just it, tying I, the shoe. It's the things you don't see. It's the it's the yeah fact. yeah yeah. You know you don't see the kid, but then you also. It's not like you see him playing football or playing soccer, mm-hmm. and then later mm-hmm. on it's like this is an extra thing just to give the kid more personality. And you're like, no, don't don't do that because he's <laughs> distant from me, and I can keep him distant. And like, no, now he's just he's right up close. And you're like, shit, and um. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I mean, again, though, and then, and then, yeah, so David sort of finds solace calling the boyfriend, I think, doesn't he, at that point? Yeah. Yes, that's when, you know, he calls Kurt to go spend the night out, and this is sort of where he starts to freak out that he has misplaced the ecstasy pills. Um, and if you sort of remember, this is when Kurt comes to pick him up. Great, great humorous scene here. And again, uh, you know, I've... God, the amount of times I've said it already, but we just went from him tying his shoes to when he's in the kitchen looking for the aspirin bottle. Claire's like, I like this. If this is gay David, I love gay David. Yeah. 
And just a hilarious part because it took uh, when I watched it, I said, "Wait a second, David's wearing." I hate saying this, but you'll you'll understand what I mean. Gay, David's wearing the quote unquote the gay shirt, and then Claire says, "You know," she points out to David, "Are you wearing my shirt?" Yeah. Uh, it's just great. It's <laughs> such a quick scene of you know sort of panic on David, but a great. Where's the ecstasy pills? Are you wearing my shirt? That, that a great was, scene between the two of them. That was my favorite line in the thing. <laughs> he sells it really well. And I don't think David answers, but his face just says... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very, very loudly. Yes, I've stolen your shirt. I need to find an exercise. <laughs> yeah, it's, such, it's such a great contrast to, the, you know... It's again just that emotional wave this this episode. Uh, you know, and I, I, love, I love Claire's... You know, Claire loves this panic neurotic version of david where david's about to go on a date again and claire you know has never got to see this side of david and it's just it's a nice genuine moment you know between brother and sister oh yeah very much Um, you can imagine that she's probably had a good 10 years of interacting with him when he's just been very distant david and to actually see him alive must be so weird (laughs) it's good Kurt and David are at the club, and David sees Keith, and it's the first time in a few episodes after they had broken up. Yeah, I when 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 Nate, I'm sorry, when David first sees Keith, I felt the jitter. How do I say this word? The jitteriness of seeing an ex out. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily a club because I don't do the clubs, but you know, whenever I had seen an ex out, I'm at whatever a supermarket or whatever I mean, I'm. Um, you know, I I felt the cringe coming up on me when Keith was coming over to David to say hi. Yeah. You know, um, and then when they see each other, there's just sort of this moment where they both know. And like you said, either you said earlier, David and Keith are not these type of club people. This moment when they finally you know say hi to each other, there's this sort of unspoken. We uh, we both know we're not supposed to be here. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, very much. It's so just... surprised to see each other, and surprised that they're there. Yeah. <laughs> and you know I, I i found it kind of adorable how nervous you know jittery and uh, nervous and jittery david is when keith and his i don't um let's just call him his partner are there you know david goes into complete bomb mode where he just starts speaking gibberish all over him you know all over the place making a fool of himself david's completely out of his element and it shows here more than ever yeah. with Dave, Keith and his new friend, whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because he tells that awful... Well, it's not even a uh-huh. joke, is it? <laughs> I don't know what it is. No, it's... The, observation. Yeah, and, 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 and like I said, I, I found it adorable that David was just yammering out at the mouth, just completely uncomfortable. Yeah. He doesn't know what to do. And, you know, once once David sees Kurt later on being open with another man, David finally sees that you know this isn't it for him this is not his this is not what he should be doing uh he wasn't meant for this you know like how you said david and keith are not these type of people and this moment at the club sort of hits home for david that it's really not for him yeah yeah that's it i i I just put that he is um quote too old to hang (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah it's just it's because David's only 31, I want to say. 
I'm yeah, I'm gonna say he's right in between us. What are you you're thirty three? I'm gonna say he's right in between us. I'm thirty. Yeah, no, and and I I have not been clubbing for a while. And I was in a shop <laughs> today and complained about the radio being too loud. So, <laughs> that says a lot about how well I've aged. I've aged like a fine line. <laughs> No, I know it's it's you know it's funny about that. It's commonly my my complaint is, you know, do they have to be playing it that loud? They yeah. can hear it at a lot lower volume. <laughs> but my my wife went clubbing this weekend. Like she went on a uh, like a bachelorette party thing, and yeah, she came back and she's like, yeah, it was uh-huh. good. But we went to the club and she said, I didn't know what any of the songs were. I didn't even think they were songs. <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's amazing how quick you become the old person. And there's people a lot older than us who are saying, oof, you have no idea how young yeah. you are, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Probably the highlight of this episode, Ruth and Hiram are out camping. Yeah. They're sleeping. And Ruth wakes up and takes the mysteriously placed ecstasy pill. Mm-hmm. Ruth being high here, to me, episode nine, the highlight of the series so far. This sequence and what Six Feet Under does so good, uh, I can't I can't comment onto the quote unquote legitimacy of it. I was going back an episode where I loved paranoid Nate being high as someone who had smoked when I was high. I was so paranoid; it's why I don't do it. But they 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 were able to use the camera work with Nate so great. Uh, I don't know what it's like taking ecstasy, but. I would love it if it was like what Ruth goes through, you know, and at first, you know, Ruth is walking through the woods and she comes across this big teddy bear and, you know, you, you sort of get the vibe at first. She's high and then you know it for sure when she sees the teddy bear. I love the uh, exploration music Mm. and just sort of the, the, purple blue vibe, uh, tint that's on uh, her little high dream sequence. Um, if you notice that when the bear shows up, if you remember the kind of the first thing he does is point to his clock. To me, that was sort of how we got the reference. Obviously, before the child, the, the child who dies, but, you know, the life's too short. Ah, and yeah. whatever it is about dreams, you want to say, interpret dreams. Um, you know, it, it's it's. I guess it's somewhat telling that the first thing Ruth sees is a teddy bear, mm. and you know, pointing to his clock. The bear points her towards a hearse in the middle of the woods, and Nathaniel pops up for a vision as he's working under the car. Uh, what I loved here, and again, it's 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 just so funny, and it could only work in this you know six feet on the universe. Nathaniel openly calls Ruth a slut. Yeah. But it's so endear. It's so sweet. <laughs> and I can't believe that I'm saying that. It's so it's such a genuine uh you know, it's like a what's the word I'm looking for there? I guess when you call someone a bitch but you mean it in the best way possible, you're not you know, yeah. saying it demeaningly. Um you know, only 6 feet under can make a husband calling his wife a slut. A sweet gesture <laughs> you know yeah, that's yeah that's uh it's unique it's definitely a unique trait you know what i sort of took away through this whole dream sequence was ruth is obviously still grieving over nathaniel yeah um you know you can never get over losing your spouse mm-hmm. at that age for that long 
I really liked, you know, just kind of the same way it, it, it warmed my heart how kind of, you know, Nathaniel calls Ruth a slut and they laugh about it. I liked how he was telling Ruth to go find, you know, that young love they once had. Um, it's a very funny, sweet, but also kind of sad vision. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but is this like uh-huh. the first time that we've sort of seen Nate, uh, Nathan, uh, Nathaniel and Ruth together? Like, I know we've probably seen them in little dream sequences. Wow. See them having a conversation for this long. I don't think <laughs> they've done it. I, I know the others have. I know, like, the sons of <laughs> Claire and David and Nate have. Yeah. But I think this is the first time Ruth does it, and it's very much... It's very... It's interesting because, like, they're such ciphers, the two characters. But when you see them together, you're like, no, there's a genuine happiness there that they had and something made it go away. That's that's a great point. This is the first time that they've been on screen together. Uh, if it has happened, it was like, you know, in the beginning of the episode, he just kind of... They speak together real quick. And I know it happens in an earlier episode where there's like a few lines, but here they're touching there. Mm. They're they're what they would have been if they were if he was still alive. Yeah, that's a great point you bring up. That it that's great that's funny. I hadn't picked up on that. Well, I mean that is um, a bit of an interesting thing with Six Feet Under with Nathaniel. Is and it's it's like obviously because he he gets killed pretty quickly in the first episode. So we only ever mm-hmm. really see that character through the dreams and how people the dreams uh-huh that's great like dreams and visions and so forth and so it's interesting because you mm-hmm. don't get like a thing where he's in like a whole episode and dies at the end it's like no we're gonna just like this character is gonna be integral to most of the characters lives and you're just <laughs> gonna work out who he is as you go and this is like the first time we sort of seen what ruth and nathaniel are like as a married couple and like ah so that's why she's sort of catatonic because there was a right, deep right. sort of, even if the love had gone, they still had like a deep friendship to each other and they were partners, you know, and now he's gone and I can, you can understand a bit more of her character and where she is. And that was really sweet. And it's really sweet as well. It, it's really sweet. And, and like I said, it kind of, as soon as the scene ended, I was like really sad. Yeah. Just because, you know, you're losing, you lose your spouse, but you know, you lose your you know, you woke up with that person for X amount of years, you shared so many memories, and now all of a sudden, gone. Um, and that's why, you know, her vision is so happy, just kind of, they're kind of kissing and being so playful, but that's the problem, it's just the vision. And yeah, it's just, it, it's it's a very sweet, it's funny. When it ends, to me, I was instantly sad. And again, repeating it so many times, I was riding that wave where I'm laughing, and as soon as, you know, I realize it's, I, I get back to real life and it's a vision, it's like, ah, oh, well, that's sad. She, this, this poor woman misses her husband so much, you know? Yeah, yeah that was, it was a weird little sequence because it's like you say, it's funny, but it's sad, but it's weird. <laughs> it's great. And I guess, I guess the beneficiary of all of this is Hiram because <laughs> uh, we see when the morning comes, Ruth, you know, she's waking up, uh, she's hung over, I guess. Yeah. And... Hiram's just like, thank you. That's the best night we've ever had. And <laughs> Hiram, you know, made out the best. Yeah. Um, if I could circle back, I wanted to get to that third funeral home. Ah, yes. Uh, Brenda hits Nate with planning her own funeral. And she improvs herself as a dying woman with cancer. 
when she pops out with the thing on her head. I mean, I I had forgotten this part of the episode the first time I I went I, I went to my rewatch, and literally out of my out of my mouth came, "What the fuck? <laughs> like, is she is she really doing this? Um, how she sells it is amazing yeah. with the headpiece, the the coughing and everything. There there's not much here because of, I mean, I mean it, it, it's in their characters, you know what happens, but. As far as if I'm trying to take the funeral director angle out of it, um, what I wanted to actually point out here, and I want to see if you had picked up on this, and it's something that my industry has sort of evolved, is hmm. the setup of the arrange the, the setup of the arrangements room. And what I mean by that is this is where they make the decisions, and you see the Fishers when they sit down with families. Yeah. If you remember the first two funeral homes, they had this big desk. And, you know, one of them had this music playing and these huge decadent rooms, whereas this third one and, you know, there's a reason why they made it a woman funeral director. You know, there's like a, a couch and chairs vibe, uh, a round table sorts. Uh, it easily could have been an interview instead of, you know, funeral arrangements for a dying, dying woman. Um, if you notice, like I said, the Fishers have this set up as well. Yeah. Uh, a certain time in this industry... Um, you know, we, everyone believed that you needed to have the big desk and you were sort of looking down at your families. Yeah. Whereas now we sort of, it's a subliminal tactic and it's just so it's not so intimidating. Um, you know, we have more of a round table. So the funeral director isn't this empowering figure over you. It's more open. Yeah. There's no other Did you married. pick up on that at all or yeah. just? Or there's just a more comfortable vibe with this third funeral home, and don't forget too, and it's important that they added a woman funeral director to yeah. it. Woman, very much so. I, I thought the first one was terrifying, like that big right, arcane right. room with the giant desk, and then the second uh-huh. one, well, like again, the huge desk. It puts up a barrier. It creates distance, and then because I, I I couldn't remember this sequence from when I'd watched it. Obviously, donkeys years. Uh huh. Um. And I didn't know what was going to happen with Brenda. So I was like, ah, okay, so this sequence is going to be when Nate clicks and he works out how to do it well. Because that woman came out and she was all smiles and she seemed like she knew what she was doing. And the setting was very comfortable and all that. And I didn't know whether it was going to be a thing of like, she was going to be loads like the fishes. So Nate was going to realize that, you know, they were already doing it right. He just needed more confidence or something or he was just going to learn loads from her. But then obviously, as soon as Brenda comes out, I was like, oh, no, no, I'm completely (laughs) No, no idea. But But yeah, yeah, yeah. they took me one way and then it went another way. So yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, and something I wanted to add here, because I imagine some people, I I know I've gotten this question in the past, but it's something that Six Feet, you know, the show brought up here is, People like Brenda, mm-hmm. not uh, people like Brenda, but not Brenda, who are doing this just to be become a better funeral director. People who are sick uh, are eminently terminally ill. They do come in to make prearrangements, and it's probably more often than what people think. Um, yeah, they they do it. And here's the thing: um, I imagine there's sort of a peaceful point you hit in your mind if you are unfortunately that ill and you know you're going to die if you if you're able to have the mindset to be conscious to know you unfortunately are about to 
enter that realm. Um, so they come in to do this because you know it it takes a load. It takes a load off your family of having to do that stuff. Sometimes uh, I, I worry about this podcast being so pro funeral director that you know I, I, I try to toe the line and just I'm just trying to present the information. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. Um, but I say that to say, you know, uh, a person who is at peace, knowing they're going to die, and can make these sort of uh, decisions. It's kind of a huge relief on everyone because fast forward to when the time comes and let's say you're having your funeral or whatever, you can kind of sit back and say, this is what mom, dad, brother, sister, this is what they wanted. Yeah. You know, whereas you're sort of doing the, not the guessing game, but you're just kind of, how should we decide to tribute, you know, mom, dad, whatever, uh, Letting them pick it out, letting them do it, letting them put their wishes down. It's a huge relief and it's more personal than it can or should be. You know what I mean? Knowing your own impending death uh, can be scary, but, you know, had they gone forward with the arrangements with Brenda, Nate, and this woman, funeral director, it's probably very peaceful, you know, because you all know the end game, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly but i imagine it would have been a peaceful insightful you know arrangements whatnot yeah i mean i think it is that thing as well like once yeah they say once you are that ill and you realize there's only one outcome i imagine planning your own funeral would sort of be a way of reasserting control over your life you know because everything sort of spiraled out of control you didn't expect to get ill and then you got ill and you couldn't get better so it's like, well, right, right. fuck it, I, I'm going to die, so I'm going to, this last thing, the last thing that happens to me, I'm going to control mm-hmm. it. I will be the one mm-hmm. who says, I want this song, yeah, I want yeah, this, 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 and then when I go out, it'll be on my own terms, in one way or another. And, I think that, and it's, it's a very interesting thing, I mean, I hope I never find myself in that situation, but if I did, yeah, I think that's, that's the way I'd go. And I just have to imagine if, God forbid, that happens to you or anyone, I have to imagine there's just some sort of peace yeah. that you can do that. You know, it's it's a peace we can't have right now as, you know, healthy, younger people. But, you know, something there, there's something to be said for that, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, obviously, um, there's something to be said about faking it. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> there's something to be said about that. Let me ask you did, did you did you think that was that messed up what she did were you like were, were, were you freaking out as much as David was or is No no I'm sorry I, Nate Nate Yeah no I was I thought it was hilarious um Yeah it's I I felt like I mean I don't know maybe because I'm in the industry I have you know I'm not a big believer in spirits ghosts uh superstitions you know meaning you know just because I say oh my god imagine you die tomorrow mm. uh it's not like all of a sudden death is now you're going to die tomorrow I'm not someone who believes in that uh so I mean kind of I I, I don't know I, I found it a little out of character Nate freaking out so much about that yeah because I didn't think what Brenda did was that bad yeah it's 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 manipulative and all that, but it's not like yeah. I, d- I don't know. It it did. It, it took the fun out of it. Like it was quite a fun little morbid sequence, and then Nate having mm-hmm. the full flip out. You're like, yeah, you've sort of robbed this of its fun. 
you know, now you've made something weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I was, I was, I, I didn't expect, I was expecting Nate to burst out laughing more than I was. Hey. You know, it's, it, it, it's funny. I laughed pretty hard when Brenda's talking and then she just, she just starts coughing. Yeah. It's such a it's such a selling moment. Yeah. <laughs> How do you even think of you know you're trying to sell this and and you that little cough is all the world of a difference that you know you're a dying woman. Yeah, that, and um, I assumed Nate was just going to go along with it and be all like right, right, yeah, right. Start saying all cheesy lines and then they were going to break up giggling and run out together. But yeah, <laughs> our episode uh, sort of wraps up with Claire telling David and Ruth that. Gabriel was actually the guy behind all that foot saga. Um, uh, yeah. You know, us as the viewer, I kind of, you know, I thought everyone knew about that at this point, but they didn't even know Ruth and, I'm sorry, Claire and Gabriel know each other. Yeah. Um, and that's where everything sort of clears up for them. The it, You know, and the last scene of our episode, Claire comes to her senses and she's consoling Gabriel as he's crying, you know, for... Again, an episode with so many ups and downs. It was a really, you know, I had a, I had a quick. I'm happy that Claire decided to do that. I'm like proud of you, mm. but this poor guy, Gabriel. <laughs> I mean, the guilt he must feel. And it's funny we've gone this we've gone this entire episode talking, and we don't even talk about was Gabriel responsible. Whatever we can get into that, but I mean, this poor kid just lost his six year old brother. You know. I don't know that that last that last shot, and there's nothing. It's nothing more than Claire just simply holding Gabriel. I was proud for Claire, and yeah. so sad for Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it is a bit of a weird one because he obviously blames himself, and the dickhead father blames him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a it's such a weird thing as well because I was thinking about this: how little people talk about guns in the episode as well, like the. The fact that right, he right. killed himself with a gun in the house is sort of just um, window dressing. It's sort of like, well, that's how the kid died. Don't worry about it. Like you say, there's no talk of police. <laughs> there's no, like, no one gets on their high horse talking about, like, guns and gun control or anything like that. It's just sort of like the gun is a means to an end. And then once it's done, it's done. Which is fascinating because obviously that... You know, obviously, a gun, gun death, and gun crime, and all that is such a, such a huge part of like the cultural zeitgeist of 2016. But in 2001, it's like you couldn't. I don't think you could do that. Like, have a TV show now that had that, and you you don't mention the gun. Like, you'd be like, no, this is an episode about guns, surely. But no, there would be a lot more about the gun. Yeah, and it's it's funny. We went this entire episode and. You know, we just talked about who would be locked up, but, yeah. you know, the guns and Gabriel. Um, yeah, this show in 2016, and that's 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 something I, you know, I should probably think about doing as at, at the end of each episode. This gun control and whatnot would be such a huge, to the center, there's probably, I mean, I imagine, especially in today's world, there's, uh, this episode in 2016, there's people probably protesting outside, right? There, there's that sort of going on, Yeah. I if this was done today controversial as like the gun episode you know and like <laughs> and even it would be interesting yeah it's it would just be fascinating like there would be even just the synopsis would get people furious one way or another <laughs> right um, yeah i mean i think it is interesting like 
I think that you, you make you bring up a very good point there. The idea of like, what if they made this show now? Because looking back on it, like I, I was thinking this, there's so much stuff that in 2001 would have been hugely shocking. Like a lot of David's plotline, how graphic it is. And also the fact that he is in um, an interracial gay relationship would have been, I imagine, pretty big. And then even like something as simple as uh, Ruth having have, being an older woman having sex. Like that in 2001, I imagine, would be quite... I mean, I think that's probably why the show was so popular, because it was pushing a lot of boundaries. Whereas now, I don't know. I think that stuff's more commonplace. I think we've moved, we've moved forward a lot. I think it'd be interesting to see if this show would be as boundary pushing now or would it just be just good good television i have to say i i agree with everything you're saying mm. uh what i want to add to it though is and again please correct me if i'm wrong i there's a lot of oh there's a lot of diverse shows out there mm. i still have yet to this day seen a show as popular let me preface it a show on hbo or any of these one of these networks mm. where someone like Michael C. Hall is openly kissing another man the amount that he does as the series goes on. I don't re- I can't recall a show where it's been that prevalent in 2016. Am I wrong or can you recall anything? I could be closed minded there. I just I don't remember. It's so in your face David is gay. Yeah. And that's and we're talking two thousand one. Let's 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 encompass it all. Two thousand one to two thousand five. I don't remember any show ever being that that bluntly gay, for lack of a better term. You know. And and as popular, there are shows that are like that. But something as popular because this was golden age, like this was right there with The Sopranos. Sopranos. Yes. 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 Um, Whereas, like. So the equivalent would be a show now that would be like as popular as like Westworld or Game of Thrones or Mad Men, Walking Dead, something like that. And those those shows are they probably have a lot more violence, but stuff like this they're quite chased with. I mean, obviously there's lots of naked women, but there's nothing as like week in week out gay main character being openly gay. Like, That's what I mean, and I'm not talking about an episode. I'm talking about a series. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, that's I don't think again. That. I mean, I think, like, there's a Netflix show called Sense8, which is very much... Okay. But, again, like, people watched it or they didn't. It's not like... Like, Six Feet Under, for for a period, was, like, a cultural phenomenon. You know, it was one of those big... It was was during that period where people were sitting down and saying, like, I think TV is better than movies. And this was, like, a big thing of, like, no, surely not. And then people started watching The Sopranos, <laughs> Six Feet Under, Sex right. City, and all that. And people were like, nah, this is much more fun than going to the movies. The quality is better and so forth. And now that's quite commonplace. You know, I mean, the idea that yeah, it's yeah. amazing is what it is. But, but yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. Because I know, like, when Westworld was finished, the first series of Westworld, people were like, yeah, yeah. it's good. But... This is a place, like, Westworld, the plotline is a place you go to fulfill your fantasies. And everyone's like, what, mm-hmm. no one, no gay people go there? No gay fantasies? <laughs> it's all the same thing of just, like, dudes with robot women. Right. It, it, like, you know, <laughs> but Six Feet Under sort of put, proved you could push push that and say, no, that's, that's there's other, there's other yeah. relationships and there's other partners and so forth. And then no one sort of yeah. come back to that well, which is a shame. It's 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 great to like you know visit that fifteen years later where 
it, it's just great 15 years later that it's that groundbreaking or whatever it is you want to say it it's a nice it's a nice show to do that on um sean any other final thoughts as we wrap up our episode do you want to ask you one question um we didn't talk about this but please please don't go fully into detail but there is a scene where at uh anthony's funeral the father shows up and gets into a fight with gabriel and nate breaks Mm -hmm. up um has that ever has that been an experience you've ever had in your line of work like a, a fist fight I can't remember all the details. It's when I had first started working. The story, to my best memory, Mm -hmm. I know how it ends. I don't know all the details. To my best memory, a lot of people in the funeral home and it is sort of the tension is heightened. Mm. Uh, I believe it was a, a, a young person who had died. There was a lot of bickering between the family. Um, I just remember you know, when a funeral goes on, there's a lot of people. Just picture being in the middle of a mall, of a crowded mall. You just hear a lot of people talking. And that's just sort of how a visitation at a funeral home goes. Uh, this particular one, the yelling started. And it's like, okay, keep your ears up. Let's, let's, what's going on? The next thing I know, and it happened at the snap of a finger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wish I could set up how the funeral home was, but. The next thing you know, there's, in my head, it was 40 people. It was probably like seven people. Seven people are, they break the doors as they fight, as the fight shoots outside. Um, And all of a sudden, people are just mobbing out to break up, to fight in the fight. Um, You know, and it was just so like, what the fuck just happened, you know? You're, the, you're working a visitation, you're appointing people to which room to go to, and the next thing you know, the doors break off the hinges because there's a seven-person brawl right through the doors. Um, I don't remember the details about it, so I, I really don't remember. You know, it was a bunch of everyone calmed the hell down, kicking people out. Yeah. Um, physical, has a physical punch like that happened, like this exact scenario? I don't remember it. Uh, there, there's been words said before. Uh, it, it's never gotten physical like the story I just told, where a, an all-out brawl just, you know, files out into the street. Um, and that happened actually pretty early on in my career, and I was like, wow, so this is going to happen a lot. Um, <laughs> That's what it's all about. But, it, but it's never happened past that time. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, and you know, it's so funny about that. I was, I, ha- I have it here. It's like tell tell the, the door breaking story uh and i was just going with the flow of it to see if i could insert that story anywhere but it's, i'm glad you asked that question because yeah i was thinking about that but no that's, uh, that's fascinating like uh-huh. as i've as i said like the 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 great thing about this podcast is it's it is that just that extra hook of like six feet under is a great show um but that extra hook of just you i mean it must be amazing for you to watch this show and, and have like recognize experiences, but also to have that thing of saying like, ah, oh, no, I wouldn't have done that like that or what they're doing is wrong or and so forth. And just to have that extra hook of like being in that business and being in a business like a funeral director, I bet you just get asked questions all the time. I never mind the questions because I always liked informing people and it's kind of what drove me to this podcast. Um, 
I gen I genuinely like someone being like, "Hey, what's the deal with this?" Mm. and I get to I get to lay the pieces out and explain to them. What I always hated since day 1 was and I think I referenced this like in my pilot episode where you know, do you touch them? Do uh, they come awake at, you know, do they come awake at night? That makes me like that just makes, shuts me down. Yeah. Uh yeah. whereas you know, hey, is this how you embalm and this how you whatnot? Um, I, I I open all questions and it's why I always open the floor. And I've gotten questions, you know, it's funny, I've gotten questions over email or, or Reddit where people are just like, hey, you you taught, you said the word cremation and I have a question. Um, I, yeah, I, I, and it's funny because, I mean, this show does does a good job of kind of letting you behind the curtain a little yeah. bit. And then I sort of show up to let you further behind the curtain you know um it's a different world and that's why I, that's why i truly enjoy doing this podcast you know oh no i can I imagine and, and it's it's such a i think we are as a species i don't know what i'm trying to say as a society like western <laughs> society are starting to look death in the face a lot more um i just bought today actually uh what's her name caroline caroline doty's book um smoke gets in your eyes and she, okay. um, uh, she was a crematorium worker for years and years and years, and she runs like an LA society about um, about basically co- getting comfortable with your impending death because it's coming one way or another at one point. And it's this fascinating uh-huh. thing. So the book is all like stories from working in the crematorium, but also I guess just the theory of how to look death in the face and just be ready for it. And it's interesting that. You know, I feel like it's very close to what Nate is like in the pilot of Six Feet Under, where he's like, "No, no, no, stop sanitizing it." Look yeah, it yeah. In the eyes, like, you know, you got to see it, and then then you can face it. And I think, yeah, I don't know, I, I, I don't know how my point started and how it's going to end. <laughs> no, no, it's actually good. I, I'm going to take it from you here because you're the second person to bring that up on this podcast. Yeah. Caitlin is part of this sort of new movement. Uh, she, she, You could follow her on Twitter. She's undertaking LA. She is sort of kind of, for lack of a better term, and I'd hate to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'd hate to misconstrue what her mission is, but she is sort of tossing the funeral back to you, meaning why not have your funeral in your house or make it as comfortable as possible for you instead of coming to the funeral home? So and she actually hosts this great YouTube series where if you like listening to this and you're getting informed, she hosts this YouTube series, Ask a Mortician, and she just handles out questions left and right. She's actually pretty I know she's done a TED Talks and she's she's pretty yeah, she's she's out there. Yep, same person. Yeah, that's the uh-huh. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. Sorry. Um and the reason why it's important that you had brought her, brought her up and uh, my friend Vanessa had brought her up a few episodes earlier is uh, if, you, if you're out there and you know Caitlin, uh, you have an open invitation to be a guest. Uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating what she does. She's so great at informing. I think she would be great for the later on episodes where you said, you know, kind of how Nate gets into whatever he gets into. Um yeah, that's that's something. If if you're some if you're interested in that, I definitely would direct you in that uh, area because she does. You know, if she, if I'm informing you on this podcast, she is schooling you in everything you need to know. Um, 
So I'm actually really glad you brought that up. I need, I wish more people, you know, knew about her and whatnot. Yeah, that's it. Oh, awesome. That's that's a, a wonderful coincidence. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, I bought that today because I was like, oh, just just in case I need something extra to talk about on the podcast. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. I'm gonna definitely uh, ship this clip over to her and be like, look what totally randomly happened. Huh? <laughs> Come on the show, uh, Sean. <laughs> Sean, tell people where to find you and your podcast, please. Yeah, so I can be found at um, First to Last Pod. On, uh, on Twitter, or you can email me directly at from first to last podcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, please get in touch. And if there's a show you can think of that you want to talk about on the show, um, obviously just the pilot and just last episode, let me know. And I'll see if it's been done or someone else has uh, dibsies on it. And uh, yeah, we can, we can put something together. Uh, obviously, I'm in Australia, but that doesn't matter because I will get up at 5 a.m. in the morning to meet your time difference. I do not care. <laughs> That's funny. Me, me and Sean, I, we keep we, we talk about times when to meet up and I mean, God bless you because I have so much trouble. I'm just like, so we will be recording our podcast 10 hours from this email <laughs> instead of just fucking being like, you know, 7 p.m. Eastern or whatever. Uh, as as uh, what Sean, Sean does is if you there's an episode you think you'd be a good guest on, you simply email him and he gets back to you. That is literally how we got connected. I emailed him and I just said, Sean, I really like Dexter. And he says, great. When can you record? I saying that to say, and I had told Sean before we started recording, I would like to do the same thing and open the floor. Uh, if there's an episode of six feet under you like, please email me, uh, enthusiastic fans, whether you love or hate the show, there's always good conversation to be had regarding that. Um, so definitely shoot me an email at digging six feet under at gmail.com. And, yeah, I, I, it's it's great to open the floor to people because we're doing this podcast and, you know, we're not professionals. We're not doing this. We're not, you know, there's no ads at the front and end of our podcast. We're doing this because we like it. And it's cool to give the floor to people who are listening who are like, hey, I want to talk about it, too. Yeah. It's it's you know, that's a good idea that you have just to completely give the floor to listeners to hop on, you know. Yeah, that's it. And people have people have taken me up on it. And it's. It's actually interesting. I think I've had about four or five people who have never been on a podcast before and they've just gone, you know what? I want oh, to talk wow. about this, this and this and let's do it. And that's happened a few times and it's it's good because then they get hooked and then you see them on a bunch of other podcasts after that. So it's good. It's a gateway. Yeah, that's gateway awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, when we get closer, I will let you guys know uh, the episode I hopped on Sean with. Like I said, we did yeah. Dexter. And awesome. Sean, anything else before we sign out? No, that's great. Just thank you for having me. Awesome. Uh, we had fun. This has been you know, my longest podcast so far. I can't believe we're <laughs> we're approaching close to two hours. Uh, yeah, dense episode. We hit on a lot. Yes, definitely. Great episode. Uh, please subscribe to Digging Six Feet Under on iTunes and SoundCloud. Like I was saying earlier, you could email me questions or criticism or anything at diggingsixfeetunder at gmail.com. Uh, just like Sean, how me and Sean kind of talk, you could tweet at me at Digging Podcast on Twitter. Uh, I post these on Reddit at reddit.com backslash r backslash six feet under for my post. And we're also now on Facebook at Digging Six Feet Under. Uh, you can join us next week as we'll be discussing episode 10 of season one of Six Feet Under titled The New Person with special guest uh, Michelle Dan Nelson, who is also a licensed funeral director in California. Thank you for listening, everyone.
Thank you for listening to the Digging Six Feet Under podcast. Join us on the next episode as we review each episode of HBO's original television series, Six Feet Under. Please search and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes under Digging Six Feet Under. The Digging Six Feet Under podcast is in no way affiliated with HBO or Six Feet Under, and the views expressed here are solely that of the hosts. No infringement is intended.